0: friends. It is so good to be here with you tonight. I'm so excited to be here and it sounds like you guys are too, so this is going to be great. Um, Because it's my first time giving a message um, to you all, I wanted to start by giving you some context about who I am because the words that I bring tonight come filtered through my own experiences and so I thought it was fair that I share a bit of who I am with you first. Um, so on that, I've recently entered the wild and wonderful world of slam poetry. Yeah. Um, shout out to all the amazing poets in this community who inspired me to give it a go. Yeah. <laughs> <is me> only.
1: <laughs>
0: so good. Um, I thought I'd start by sharing a poem with you guys tonight. Um, would you guys be keen for that?
1: Yeah. Sweet.
0: Um, This one's called Introduction. The first thing I tell people about myself is my name. Probably twice, or sometimes even three times. I am Etienne. It is French. I am not French. (laughs) It means Stephen, after the martyr, and it means crown. It is hard to pronounce, apparently. And... After years of seeing it as an inconvenience, I'm learning to go into it. The second thing I tell people about myself is where I have come from. I am from Christchurch. A city with many scars has deeply scarred my heart and turn, returning always bittersweet. But when I walk those streets, I know where I have come from. The third thing I tell people about myself is who I have come from. My father, Jeff, a gentle giant, descends from Kent in Scotland, and our family has made its home in Aotearoa seven generations past. My mother, Tian Lin, a lover of beauty, came here from Malaysia to make her home within an unfamiliar land. My brother, Nathaniel, a man without guile, shares with me his makeup, memories, and sense of humour. The fourth thing I am learning to tell people about myself who I am for. I am a follower of the way of Jesus. I am a child adopted into the family of God. I am of Blueprint Church, of Tehahi Mihinare, the Missionary Church, the Anglican Church. I acknowledge St. Christopher's in Christchurch who shaped and sent me here. My neighbourhood is Kelvin, and my heart is with the students of Victoria University. So holding all these things, being held by all these things, I come to you tonight with open hands and open heart for you to give you my words for the glory of the one who gave them to me. As I stand before you now with words I give to bless, may Jesus grow the greater and I grow all the less. Thanks, Nathan.
1: Where's Anna though? <laughs> yeah, where is Anna do?
0: I'm also going to just like start dropping these on the floor because I don't want to like disrupt the recording vibes. Um, so just don't mind me as I do that. Uh, so now we know where I've come from, let's talk about where we are now. As a church community, we've just come out of an eight-week series called Freely Receive, Freely Give, where we explored the ways that Jesus is calling us to receive from him, and from this foundation we saw what it looks like to give away what God has given to us. And I get to be the follow-up. You might be wondering where we go from here. Well, the church lives according to the rhythm of this cool thing called the church calendar, uh, which tells us we're in a season called ordinary time. Ordinary time remembers Jesus walking with us in the daily lives we lead. Think of it as like the other six and a half days that we celebrated in Good Stories. Except this week, it's not so ordinary. On Tuesday, the church celebrates a special day we'll remember the Transfiguration, which, contrary to popular belief, isn't about whipping out our wands and turning into cats. Ah, Harry Potter fans, love it. So, um, speaking of Harry Potter fans, I'm gonna get my dear friend Holly up to let us know what it's all about A reading from Matthew 17. Yeah.
1: Way, okay. <laughs> um, so the reading today is Matthew 17 verses 1 to 8 after six days Jesus took with him Peter James and John the brother of Zep- brother of James and led them up a high mountain by themselves. there he was transfigured before them his face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Peter said to them, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus.
0: Thanks, Holly. Can we give Holly a round of applause? (laughs) Awesome. So quite the mysterious sort of story, right? Maybe a bit hard to believe, maybe also one that we're not so familiar with. Um, But before we explore this passage, I'd like to begin this part with a prayer that has become very dear to me. So I invite you to close your eyes and join me. May the words of my lips and the meditations of my heart be an acceptable sacrifice to you, O Lord. Amen. So speaking of words, I have to say, and Holly can attest to this, that I say some pretty dumb things sometimes. Uh, the best example I can think of was at the start of this year, at my old flatmate, Rebecca's birthday. Give us away, Rebecca.
1: Becca.
0: <laughs> so we have this tradition of everyone saying one nice thing to celebrate the birthday girl. And I really wanted to honor Rebecca's persistence at learning how to play the fine art of handball, um, which a bunch of people from this church play on Wednesday nights. Um, with some friends from the neighborhood. She'd get along, 9.30. Um, Rebecca was just really dedicated to the cause and she improved so much over the course of the year. And I just wanted to honor that really well. So when it came to my turn to share, I said, Becca, at the start of the year, you were really bad at handball, like really bad. (laughs) Yeah, at that point, everyone started laughing, and I realized what I've just said, and I considered trying to dig myself out of the hole, and uh, I give up. There was no saving that one. So I find myself in good company with old mate Peter in this passage, who, if you cast your minds back a couple of weeks ago when Max was preaching, basically told Jesus he wasn't allowed to die, Um, to which Jesus replied, get behind me, Satan. (laughs) So, compared to Peter, I think I got off easy. (laughs) Then, six days after this, in tonight's reading, Peter's at it again when Jesus gathers him and some other friends, James and John, and says he wants to climb a mountain. Um, Now, Jesus often did this in order to pray and meet with God the Father, so Peter should have been picking up on the sacred vibes pretty early on in this one. Uh, They walk up this mountain and they reach the top, and then something incredible happens. Jesus is transfigured before them. The dictionary says transfiguring means a complete change of form or appearance into a more beautiful or spiritual state, which is a bit hard to picture, so Matthew gives us a couple of pointers. Uh, Jesus' clothes go white. He glows. Even more astonishing, the two superheroes of the Jewish faith appear right beside him. So there's Moses, that guy from possibly the best biblical adaptation ever, Prince of Egypt. Yes, got some fans in the room. Um, so he led the Israelites out of slavery um, and also sang some really great songs. Uh, maybe that was just the movie. Um, and then there was Elijah, and he was this total badass who like, ended a drought after a showdown with some pagan prophets. And then he was taken up to heaven in a chariot of fire because apparently dying was too mainstream.
1: <laughs>
0: this is quite the incredible picture, right? There's this beautiful painting of the Transfiguration in the chapel in Ramsey House, Um, the Vic Uni Chaplaincy, and it portrays the disciples with mouths wide open, not knowing quite what's happening, and really capturing the beauty and the mystery of the scene. Um, You know that moment at a concert when you like lose yourself to the atmosphere, or you're staring at a beautiful sunrise, or holding a newborn baby, that kind of sense of the sacred that's going on, that yeah, that was something of what was happening here. So surely at this point, Peter knows he has to choose his words carefully. So then he says something like, wow, it's so good to be here, guys, loving the vibes. You know know what will make this little camping trip complete? I'll put up some tents. Yeah, so Matthew's wording is a little more sympathetic, but you can just picture Moses turning to Jesus and saying, so you're choosing this guy to build your church on, seriously? Actually, Peter doesn't even get a response. Um, Instead, his words just hang there awkwardly, um, like mine to Rebecca. Um, (laughs) Yes, um, but what saved Peter wasn't quite what saved me. Um, God starts speaking out of a cloud and says, this is my beloved son, listen to him. And then the cloud goes and so do Moses and Elijah and Jesus is back to normal. And the disciples are left wondering what the hell just happened? Well, one thing that just happened is, and this is my first point, in the light of the Transfiguration, the disciples saw who Jesus truly was. I've been a bit harsh on old Peter, but in his passion for setting up shelters or tabernacles, we see a perfectly normal response for a first century Jew, faced with a sudden revelation of God's presence. When the Israelites were wandering in the desert with Moses, remember him? Um, They encountered this radical idea that God was not far off like all the other gods, um, but instead God was near and cared about them and was traveling alongside them in the form of a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And so when they stopped and made camp, God made camp with them, settling in this ornate tent known as the tabernacle. So when Peter sees Jesus glorified with Moses and Elijah, It actually made a lot of sense for him to recognize the sacred moment by building tabernacles for each of them. Except he doesn't get it quite right. In saying he'll build one for each of them, he's putting all of them in the same basket. He's equating Jesus, who's been with him for a couple of years now, teaching him about God and how to live, performing miracles, proclaiming a new dream for what the world could look like, and a bunch of other amazing stuff. Equating Jesus with two figures from history who admittedly were pretty amazing, but Peter's putting the appetizers on the same level as the main course. We can go a level more metaphorical here. Um, Yeah, someone loves that. Probably an English student. (laughs) Moses gave the Israelites a set of rules to follow so they'd be right with God and could be set apart as a special, holy people. We call this the law. Elijah was the best known of the prophets, Um, And they were a crazy bunch of people who called the Israelites back to how they were supposed to be living, and also pointed them towards hope for restoration. Um, And this would come in the form of a person called the Messiah, who was chosen by God to bring all things back to the way they were meant to be. What these two represented, the Law and the Prophets, was the current way of seeing the world that every first century Jew lived under and that Peter was channelling when he tried to make Jesus equal with Moses and Elijah, putting Jesus into a box he would have found comfortable and easy to understand. And then God says something that changes everything, this, Jesus is my beloved son, listen to him, these other guys were great, but Jesus is the main event, he's my son, In, in fact, he's the Messiah, the law and the prophets have been pointing towards all this time, listen to him. So in the light of the Transfiguration, Peter came to realize that Jesus was bigger than the box he wanted to put him in. In the words of Father Gregory Boyle, how much greater is the God we have than the one we think we have? And this is true of our lives too. There are plenty of images for God in the Bible, some we're really comfortable with, and some of what honest we just don't like, or... Brilliant. So, images of God that we're comfortable with, we don't like, and some that we just don't understand. Maybe it's the image of God as a judge, or God as a mother or a father. Maybe you're comfortable with having Jesus as a friend, but aren't so happy with pictures of him as Lord or King. Maybe you don't understand what it's like to be able to hear the voice of God. Maybe it's hard to see God as loving or accepting or even present. Maybe you haven't yet encountered the life-changing love of Jesus. Whatever it is, I think the parts of God's character we find most difficult to understand are the ones God wants us to wrestle with and to journey through together. This has definitely been true for me. I've just finished taking a semester off from uni, and throughout it I've been wrestling with the image of God i found hardest, which is seeing God as a father. It's one of those go-to images for God that everyone talks about, but didn't feel like it meant much beyond being a nice abstract idea. I think I saw God more as an authority figure, like a really nice one who wanted what was best for me. but was kind of missing this parent-child relationship that could hold me through the good and the bad. And then Scotty preached a sermon on the prodigal son, uh, which Alana also referenced last week. And that's the story of a son who insulted his father, squandered all his money, and yet was welcomed back with open arms and with love. And I was really moved by it, and felt God prompting me that this was the journey that we were going on together. I started learning how to relate to God as a child relates to their parent, bringing my needs to God and starting to trust that God would meet them, just like a child should be able to wake up, trusting that breakfast is coming and they'll get a hug before they go to school. And I learned that God was as excited to see me as a parent with their child, full of love without any strings attached, just because I was God's child. This was a new understanding of God that changed everything for me. I now feel so loved and accepted, and it's all because of God the Father revealing a part of himself to me that I didn't know before. So to land point one, in the light of the transfiguration, we see God and Jesus as they truly are, bigger than the boxes we try to put them in. Second point, in the light of the transfiguration, we start to see ourselves as we truly are, which is the way that God sees us. One of my friends was talking about her picture of God changing over this season, from God being this judgmental figure to a more accepting and loving one. And she noticed, funnily enough, that this changed the way she saw herself. It was easier for her to be less judging towards herself and to love herself more fully. I think there's a relationship between how we see God and how we see ourselves, and we're more able to see ourselves as God sees us, in light of a more full picture of who God is. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says it like this, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. In other words, as we see who Jesus truly is, we can see who he is calling us to be. And better yet, we can be transformed into that person. That's pretty good news, right? Yeah, um, this was definitely true of Peter. Um, who, as we saw, was a bit of an impulsive guy with literally no filter for the things he was saying. Um, But as he was growing in his understanding of who Jesus was through seeing Jesus transfigured um, and breaking out of the box he was trying to keep him in, um, yeah, Jesus called out of him this man who fearlessly preached the gospel on the day of Pentecost and became a key leader of the early church. From being the man who couldn't keep his mouth shut He ended up writing in one of his letters, if anyone speaks, do it as one speaking the very words of God. That's a bit of a turnaround. I've also seen this in my own life recently. As I grew more comfortable with seeing God as Father and more open to the love and acceptance God has for me, God started revealing to me a part of my character that I could slowly come to accept. Basically, every time someone would come to pray for me at the cross, um, They'd get this word that God saw me as a gentle person, and that God affirmed that. Um, Now, this really didn't fit with my generic masculine strength paradigm. (laughs) Like, most of us are taught from a young age that men are meant to be strong or sporty or something. And here I was left with the word gentle. So what do I do? I ignore it, of course. Uh, But God, in the way that God has kept, bringing it up. Eventually I gave in and starting um, trying to own what that meant. And that meant allowing myself to let my heart break and hearing about other people's tragedies. And it meant breaking down relationship barriers with vulnerability. And it meant pouring my heart into poems that look into the heart of another person and call out the hope inside. And the funny thing was that all of these things were the most natural thing in the world for me, even though I'd never let myself try them before. Turns out, God knows us better than we know ourselves. And as we journey into knowing God better, God reveals more and more about us and invites us to become the people we were created to be. My friend, the Reverend Spanky Moore, great guy, um, said something once that really stuck with me. He said, imagine at the end of your life, God looking at you and saying, you became the person I dreamed you to be. Yeah, don't know about you guys, but I want that. I want that for all of you here tonight. So point two, in the light of the transfiguration, we see ourselves as God sees us and are transfigured alongside Jesus into his glory. Now for the final point, the cross is the ultimate place where a new understanding of who God is and a new understanding of who we are meet. At the Transfiguration, we see Jesus lifted up on a mountain between two men, and the voice of God says, this is my beloved son. Fast forward a few weeks later, and Jesus is again lifted up on a hill, this time not in radiant glory, but bloodied and bruised and naked on a cross. Between two men, this time not the superheroes of Jewish legend, but two common criminals His divinity proclaimed not by a booming voice from a cloud, but from a pagan military commander who says, surely this man was God's son. To make it even more clear in Luke's account of the Transfiguration, Moses and Elijah are talking with Jesus about his coming death. So everything about the Transfiguration points towards the cross. And in the same way, what the Transfiguration reveals about God and about ourselves, points towards the ultimate revelation of who God is and who we are, which are found in Jesus coming to live among us and to die for us. What the cross reveals to us about God is that God is not far off or distant, judgmental or too clean or holy to be able to relate to us. Instead, God is revealed in Jesus to be so present and near to us, and especially near to those who are broken. To the extent that not only did Jesus walk alongside and spend time with those shunned by society, he also died alongside them, between two social outcasts who had been rejected like he had. God is revealed to be first about forgiveness rather than judgement, when Jesus on the cross looks at the people insulting him with love and asks God to forgive them. And the image of a holier-than-thou, clean God is shattered when we see Jesus on the cross bloodied and bruised, utterly part of the muck and the mess of humanity, and so able to meet us in our mess as well. So the cross reveals to us a lot about the character of God. And what the cross tells us about who we are is that God sees us as worth dying for. Jesus came to live among us and die for us so that every barrier that separates us from God, from others, from ourselves and from all of creation would be broken, so that we, like the prodigal son, can know the embrace of the arms of a loving father. His act of sacrificial love by being churned through the worst of the religious and political systems of his day, being shamed and mocked by the people who a week earlier had been his closest supporters, being betrayed by one of his closest friends, and then enduring the pain of dying on a cross shows us that we must really be loved by Jesus, for him to decide that he wanted to go through with all this. We must be loved so deeply by God, for God to see us as worth dying for. So the light of the Transfiguration shows us who Jesus truly is. And in that light we see who we truly are, and that there is hope for our transformation. And the light of the Transfiguration points towards Jesus dying on a cross to show us the true nature of God and the way God sees us, worth dying for so we can be brought home to the arms of the Father. So as we reflect on what God is saying to us through the story of the Transfiguration, I'll leave us with a few questions and a minute of silence to dwell on them and see what God is bringing up for you calling to mind the journey that we've been on as a community over the last few weeks, looking at what God has been calling us to receive and what God has been calling us to give. First, how is your picture of God changing into a fuller and deeper knowing? Second, what is Jesus revealing to you about yourself that you couldn't see before? And finally, what is God calling you to see as you look towards Jesus on the cross.